You're now listening to episode 140 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Castelli joined here today with Chris Kamek. Chris is a self-made seven-figure real estate investor, serial entrepreneur, corporate America side hustler, public speaker, and real estate business coach. But Christopher is most proud of being a father of two. In today's episode, we discuss how Chris built his seven-figure real estate business, his investment strategy, current marketing conditions, and much more. Before we dive right into today's episode, we did want to let everybody know that we had a lot of positive feedback about this recent 2021 Tax and Legal Summit, where we discussed lucrative tax and asset protection strategies with top tax and legal experts in the industry, including the real estate professional status, the short-term rental strategy loophole, how to use passive losses to offset taxes, cost segregation studies, 1031 exchanges, self-directed retirement accounts, the CARES Act, entity structuring, estate planning, and so much more. Again, if you missed this incredible event that was designed to save you thousands in taxes and help protect the assets and wealth you worked so hard to build, you can still get the recordings for only $99 at recordings.taxandlegalsummit.com. That's right, you can get all 30 sessions from the 2021 Tax and Legal Summit for only $99. Just head on over to recordings.taxandlegalsummit.com to grab your copies today. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here, we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little information on your background? Absolutely, man. Uh, 28-year-old uh, real estate investor. I like to call myself a serial entrepreneur because I don't just invest in real estate, but other things as well. But uh, yeah, out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, invest in other markets as well. I invest, actually got a new construction going on in Atlanta right now. I've done some flips in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, and now I'm based out of Indiana for now. So we'll see how it goes. Well, I mean, I got to ask why, why focus on, why Indiana? Why Indiana is your core market? Why not Atlanta? Why not uh, Fort Lauderdale? Great question. Um, honestly, it's because I'm from here and uh, I came back to this market with no intentions of getting into real estate, kind of fell in my lap and uh, yeah, just took off from there. So it was no intentions um, on staying in Fort Wayne for as long as I have. I've been back here for three years. And uh, once the real estate um, side of the business started taking off, we were just like, hey, you got to stay put for a while. I'll be, I'll be leaving my gold mine. So I'm here to stay for now, but we'll see what happens. Guys, so, so I know you're involved in a few different uh, aspects of the real estate business today. Um, how, did, how did you get started? Was it wholesaling? Was it fix and flipping? Uh, how did you jump in? Yeah, that's a good question, man. And it's so crazy because, Thomas, my story is totally different than a lot of others. Most people jump in with wholesaling, building up their capital, and then uh, they start flipping or, you know, something like that. Uh, my story actually is I bought a rental under contract, uh, put $10,000 down on that property, and then I seller financed the rest. Then ended up paying off the house in six months. From there, I bought my first flip. 
I call it luck. Sometimes it's better to be good than, I mean, lucky than, than being great at something. I was extremely lucky. Um, made a hundred grand on that first flip. And from there, I just kept scaling the business. So then I was like, oh, cool. I can, I can buy a house. I can turn around and flip it. And then I could buy another rental. So I just kept buying rentals. Then uh, bought my first multifamily, bought 16 doors. Was it 15 or 16 doors at, uh, at one time? And then it just kept spiraling out of control from there. And then just kept pushing myself. So I went from rentals, from rentals to flips, from flips um, to wholesaling a little bit. And then from wholesaling, I went over to new construction. And I was self-taught through the entire process. Wow. Wow. So, so right now you're doing new construction or you're doing a mixture of all of all of these, I mean, obviously rentals, but, a, yeah. or a mixture of uh, wholesaling and flipping it too at the same time. Yeah. So I'm doing a little bit of everything. Um, I would be honest with you. We love um, the buying holds. I mean, we like that mailbox money. It's nothing like the first of the month when, you, when you're getting your checks, obviously it comes with hiccups too. And um, you know, everything is not rainbows and roses, but for the most part, we've been really, really uh, lucky and blessed, but I, I'll be honest with you. We're starting to shift everything. Now we're not doing too many rehabs. We're really focusing on new construction rentals. So we, we like that. Um, you, you get a lot of equity in those deals, so on and so forth. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but yeah, so we're doing a lot of new construction currently. Nice, nice. And, and you mentioned you had no mentors or I mean, or you mentioned you did this mostly self-taught at this point. So you didn't go through any formal programs, any real estate programs. Uh, you didn't have any mentors like who before we get into new construction, all that who's on your team? Um, and how, how did you grow your team? Like who who's around you to support the business? Yeah, good question. Um, so no, to answer your question, I didn't read a book. I didn't listen to any podcasts. I wasn't on YouTube University like I should have been. Um, mm -hmm. It was sweat equity. So I was putting in the time. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm pretty handy. So a lot of these things, you know, I, I can teach myself, whether that's electrical, plumbing, you know, putting in cabinets. And so I was like, OK, it can't be that hard. I'm seeing, you know, in my subdivision that I live in currently, there was only one lot left in the neighborhood. And so I saw the house next to me go up in three days once they had the foundation done. And I said, that's a team. It's, a, it's all about a team structure. It's not about an individual. Right. And so I was like, I can do that, too. Um, so anyways, I added on to my house to learn new construction so I can self teach my I can I can be self taught on every aspect of new construction. Um, so I did that. And then I started to build my team after I did that. Once I felt like I knew enough to be dangerous, I wanted to know every aspect of the business. So I never could be overcharged or taken advantage of because I've had companies that have failed before. Right. Um, yeah. So I was like, OK, how can I protect myself? and make sure I dot my I's and cross my T's. So now my team's made of, um, there's a co-owner in my company. Um, his name is Joe Berghoff. Um, so Joe oversees a lot of our day-to-day um, -day expenses, running reports, um, putting budgets together. I'm out in the field, building relationships, networking, overseeing job sites. Um, and then we got Darius, he does all our marketing. Um, he's the one that probably reached out to you guys to get everything set up and get it going. Um, so he is, and he runs our wholesaling. Darius and Joe run our wholesaling side as well. Yeah, teams are absolutely important. You can't really build a business too far just by yourself. You know, especially in the real estate field, everybody always, everybody knows real estate's a people, people business at the end of the day. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of circling back a little bit to the construction side. Why, you know, why, why new construction at this point in time? What, what is, what is, what is causing you to say this is that's the way this is the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I got asked that often. Everybody wanted to know, like, it's so left field. Nobody's talking about new construction, really. Um, to be honest with you, I wanted to be, I've always been one to challenge myself one and two differentiate myself from the competition. So what everybody else is doing right now is wholesaling and selling all these courses on how you become a, you know, a millionaire off of wholesaling properties. It's almost impossible right now because the market is so saturated. 
So what I wanted to do is figure out what I could do again to differentiate myself. And I felt that was new construction. So again, I pushed myself, challenged myself. I learned it. And then from there on, I was like, okay, this is something that can create generational wealth. One, one thing I really like about new construction is when I build a home, I shouldn't have to worry about a furnace, AC, a foundation, anything major for the next 10 years, as long as they don't tear the property up. That's not what you, you're not typically going to get that in um, a lot of your single family, multifamily existing properties. Um, so I was like, hey, I'd rather build it. I got a ton of equity in it because we general contracted ourselves. And uh, yeah, it, it works for us. Yeah. You know, you know, someone we had a we had another person come on our podcast, Brock Holliman, um, okay. not too long ago. He's out of uh, central Florida who does the same thing. Um, and he's kind of like buying these things and he's selling them to the end user right off right yeah. off the bat. Like he said, he's telling he's telling he remember he told us that uh, he was like pre-selling these houses before they even built because the demand was so high. Yep. Um, so w- what are you doing with the end product? Are you keeping them as rentals? Or are you selling them to an end buyer like a retail cl- a retail person? You're selling them to investors or mixture like what what does it look like there yeah so um any of my new construction i've never sold a new construction i mean we've got a waiting list of clients that have asked us will you please build for us and we won't do it because our quality of our home they, they like it um we are in it for the longevity we're not in it for the quick cash the capital gains you got to pay on that money right away you can't depreciate it there's so many advantages to holding on to the property and we're in this for generational wealth and legacy um so that's what makes it unique with me and my partners is we all have the same end goal in mind so um, that is the reason why we don't sell them. Now we do flip some properties and we do put them up for sale and let them go. Um, it has to be a unique situation. We're in it for, for the longevity, but there's money to be made in all aspects, which is the reason why we, we, we touch all of them. Uh, that, that makes a ton of sense. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're in it for the real long term, the, the real value is in building a huge rental portfolio, essentially. And hey, if you're able to build it yourself and you're in a, in a fantastic market like Indiana, I mean, you put yourself in an even better position, right? <laughs> For sure. So ha- have a few questions about how you go about that before we do. Um, you know, it kind of sounds like you got started right in 2019 mm-hmm. um, or around that time. And, you know, not too long after you get hit with COVID. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> how, how, how did, you know, and, and people are still, you know, getting impacted by COVID today. Obviously, it's, you know, currently mm-hmm. about Q1 2021. Uh, how did you... How, how, what, what, how did COVID impact your business and how did you pivot? Yeah, um, so COVID actually didn't impact us negatively at all. Um, now, we had a couple of renters that decided they want to take advantage of all of the things that the government was allowing them to do, such as not paying rent and you can't be evicted. Um, but the beautiful thing about us is we diversify our portfolio almost if, as if people diversify their portfolios and stocks. So we put some of ours in government funding. So that means that it's a guaranteed check. It does not matter what happens. The government's going to be paying their rent. Some of them are just paying, um, you know, they pay directly and some of them pay with a voucher and rent. So we diversify our portfolio. So when we got hit with COVID, we never liked, we, we have never been over leveraged. So it didn't matter if a couple of people didn't pay because we have the guaranteed money from, from the government. Um, so that's been really good. Um, also, we, we actually took the time to acquire a lot of land at that time during COVID. So I actually bought an entire city block. Um, yeah, wow. I, I, bought, I bought an entire city block during the time because what happened is um, the individual that owned that property, I knew he owned a lot of strip malls. Well, one thing I knew is if you own strip malls, a lot of those tenants weren't paying rent. So I knew he would be in a position that he would want to sell this land that we had been working on for over you know, 12 months. 
So I ended up getting a really good deal buying that. Um, it's right across from a college and we're going to put student housing uh, right across from the, from the college. So it, it's all, it's honestly worked on, in our favor. COVID has so far. Wow. So good. That, that, that's fantastic. It seems like, man, it seems like, you know, you're, you're playing a video game, you're just collecting all those <laughs> rings, man, just jumping right through them nonstop. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's been that's good. Awesome. So with, um, I'm going to say at this point, how do you know, like, you know, you know, how do you know, like, how do you find your properties? How do you know they're good? How do you know it's, it's a good deal versus a bad deal at this point? Yeah. Um, so now it's pretty automated. We're plugging it into a deal analyzer, right? So if the numbers don't make sense, we don't try to force it whatsoever. Um, a lot of our deals come to us off of referrals and relationships. Uh, we hadn't done any advertising at all before wholesaling, before we ever got into the wholesaling side. We didn't spend a dollar on marketing. Um, unless you want to consider shooting some content marketing, but um, we didn't, we hadn't spent any money at all in like commercials, mailers, anything like that. Um, so yeah, we've been, we've been blessing that aspect as well, where we've been able to build a great rapport in this small town that uh, people realize that we do good business, we do clean business and we get the deals done. So it's, it's worked in our favor. Yeah, you let, let, let the work speak for itself, right? Absolutely. Um, so are you use so you mentioned that you have, uh, someone who does marketing and runs the wholesale business and you, you head up, uh, kind of the relationship building and, and, you know, banging on the doors, if you will. Um, yep. is there any, is there any, is there any, I guess, uh, things you would, things you would say, say someone wants to start a, a business, you know, similar to yours, mm-hmm. um, perhaps maybe they're in another market and want to get started. What tips would you have for them getting started? Absolutely. Um, I think first and foremost is, when you're putting together your strategy and your business plan, if it's in real estate, is to make sure that you implement systems and you create and you you delegate the delegate tasks as you go along. One thing that I would tell you, um, I see a lot of people fail at is they get so far along and then they have to go back and create their system or document what their system looks like. So when you oh, onboard yeah. someone, it's extremely hard because now your time that you could be spent making more money, you're spending teaching and educating somebody on that role. Okay. Um, so I would take the time to do that. I think that's really important. Um, and then the second thing is, is take your time. Everybody wants instant gratification. Social media makes it extremely hard not to want it, right? Because you see everybody driving the fancy cars, you know, they're flashing money, they're, they're, they're on the exotic trips, um, but they don't show you what it takes to get there, right? And a lot of that, I'll be honest with you, a lot of the guys that are doing it, um, I think you'll see post-COVID, they won't be doing that, right? Because a lot of it, they make it look like they're doing a lot more than what they truly are. Um, so what I would tell you is you got to come up with your why and your purpose. What is it that drives you? Why are you in it? And what are you trying to accomplish? Um, and with those three things, I think you'll, you'll do really great. No, no, that's, that's, that's great advice. And, you know, I got to comment on, you know, the, the entire system is systemization thing. I mean, if you've read books like, you know, uh, E-Myth Revisited or Traction or any of those books, yep. you know, you're going to see that systematizing business is key to actually having a business and not just having a bunch of things kind of thrown together. And, absolutely, you know, I, I love what you said about how, how basically you, you did something, then you documented that process, then you could then train somebody on it and to ultimately delegate that process. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, but with everything you just said, you know, I know you didn't have any mentors or anything. that had a lot of hands-on work to get there. You have to be well, well read, right? Uh, you, you had to read a bunch of books. I have to imagine. Right. It's crazy because I'm not a book. I mean, a big book reader. Um, I do some audio books. Honestly, probably one of my favorite books thus far is um, probably Russ. Russ has a book out that I really like. It's it's more about mindset and manifesting your lifestyle. Um, but other than that, I'm not a big book reader. I've got a ton of them back here, but I don't I don't open them that often because I'm so busy. So if you don't mind me asking, who's Russell Brunson or Russell uh, Russell? Um... 
Yeah, so Russ, the actual the rapper, Russ. Um, oh, I forget the name of his book. Let me. It's gonna bug me now that you said that. As I said, I was always uh, always looking for for the good books. You know, put it put on the put on the reading list. So it's called "It's All in Your Head," and it's it's by Russ. It's a really good read. Um, he really just breaks down the fundamentals of his story, but also the fundamentals of manifesting things into your life, right? So I, I, I had manifest a lot of the things that, that I have now 10 years ago, five years yeah. ago. Um, and so, again, that's where it comes from, the instant gratification. People want the instant gratification, but you have to put in the work. You got to manifest these things for it to come true. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I mean, that's how a lot of things in my life occurred. You know, you got to have a vision. You got to hold that vision constant. Um, you got to have that goal. Right. And you got to continue to work towards that goal. And and to your point earlier, it's not all about Instagram. It's not all about getting on there, the Ferraris and stuff. And, you know, we create a podcast to go uh, called the, the Staying Power podcast um, to actually talk about that type of stuff. But to your point, yeah, it's 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 about having the vision, just grinding it out until you get there. It's not all it's not all not all gravy. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, speaking of that, you know, I know you mentioned you're in this for generational wealth, you're in this, you know, to build a legacy. Um, what, what does that look like to you? Is it, is it just building a bunch of properties until, until you have a certain uh, size portfolio or is it just keep going? Or is there another thing that's coming after this? You know, what does it look good for you? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Tom, I'll be honest. If, if it was built on numbers, I probably would be done already because I hit my goal of what I thought was my goal at the time. Um, within a couple of months of being in the industry. I never expected to be in the position that I am now. Um, so I stopped looking at the numbers and more focused on the, the end goal, which was generational wealth and legacy, but also impacting other people's lives by educating them on the possibility of doing this, right? A lot of people don't realize how possible it is, um, but they don't leverage the, the information that's available to them, such as YouTube and YouTube University and reading books, podcasts, so on and so forth. Um, so I really don't focus on the numbers anymore. The numbers have come when, when I'm focused on my why and my purpose and it, it's all fa fa falling in line. Makes a lot of sense. So are the real estate CPA podcast. We always got to ask some form of tax questions. Not sure how, how, how dynamic your, 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 your tax background is, but you know, what's yep. your favorite uh, tax strategies, uh, for real estate? We, everybody knows real estate is a ton of yep. uh, tax um, 1031 exchange. And what, why is that? What, what is it about the 1031 exchange that, that, that you love it? Um, just the benefits of, of relaying those taxes, right? And so, you know, you flip a, a million dollar building. I don't want to pay the capital gains tax on that, right? So let me go find something that's cash flowing um, and then turn around and roll it into that. Just the, the possibilities from the tax strategies that are available are just unbelievable. And the depreciation schedule, I love that as well. Yeah, I got to imagine, you know, because you're full-time, you run your business, you're also taking advantage of the real estate professional status at this point. Oh, you know it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's, that's big. That's big. Especially, you know, if you do have those big capital gains or you do sell property that you flip, you know, that, that real estate professional status combined with, you know, your, the rentals you have could be phenomenal. It makes a big difference for sure. So Chris, I was reading recently that inventory is at like two months right now, nationwide inventory in a balanced market is about six months. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it was, I think it was like uh, December, 2019, it was three months. And then it went down two months a year later, December, 2020, so, or, or maybe I'm not sure if I have the timelines, right. But basically pre COVID it was better than post COVID. So inventory is super low. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of eviction moratoriums that are, sorry, not eviction. Um, we have a lot of forbearance, like people in forbearance that I believe that's coming due later this year, um, April, May, June timeframe, okay. like millions of people. And assuming that some of those people can't pay their mortgage, they're going to put their houses up on the market. That's going to increase inventory. Uh, we also have unemployment that typically increases inventory as people put their houses up on market that they can no longer afford, or they go, they get a, um, a foreclosed on, and then those foreclosures hit the market, which that wouldn't actually happen until like end of 2021 or early 2022. Mm -hmm. But I guess my question to you, since you're, you, you've experienced a lot of success in a short amount of time, uh, sounds like you're doing a lot of development and, uh, and building. Obviously, low inventory helps builders, helps developers. Your margins are better. You can hire better people, do better work. Um, do you do you foresee this upcoming inventory, like I'll call it a glut? I have no idea what it's actually going to be, but <laughs> do you do you foresee it? How are you going to pivot with this potential upcoming inventory uh, later in 2021? Because more inventory, just for so that everybody understands, more inventory, prices go down, right? Supply and demand, more supply, uh, you you move to the left. I haven't taken microeconomics in a long time, but more <laughs> supply prices come down to meet demand. So where, how are you going to pivot? Or are you just going to keep doing, doing what you're doing? Yeah, that's a great question, Brandon. I think honestly, I, there's no way you can keep doing what you're doing unless you have a, a, a particular business model. And with our business model, it allows us to continue to do what we do. And the only reason I say that is because we focus on rentals. So the rental market is not going to be truly impacted, hopefully, um, the way that, you know, houses on the market will be. And the reason why I say that is people that are losing their houses have to then go rent a property. Okay. So hopefully it'd be beneficial for us, but then you have to worry about the vetting process, so on and so forth. Now, when it comes to the flipping side, I can see it being a, a very um, hard part of the market and, and it'd be a huge adjustment. I think it's time for, for a, a market adjustment. I think we, this bubble is definitely going to burst, right? So that's why we make sure that we only buy the ones that really make sense. Make sense. And when I say that, it's got to have a ton of equity in it. That means if we hit a crash, this is going to be typically at market rate, right? So we're not buying those home run deals. A lot of people that are getting started in this industry, they've listened to podcasts, all the people on social media, and, and they're shooting for the stars on the first deal. And unfortunately, it's going to be a lot of people um, that are not going to be prepared for what's going to happen. So I think there's going to be a huge adjustment just because of what you just said um, when, when banks start foreclosing on those properties. Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. Kind of more, I'll talk about some, some of the other stuff that I've read too, but uh, I, I like what you said about the rentals because you're totally right. If people are putting their, mark, their homes up to, for sale because they can no longer afford the mortgage, they've got to live somewhere. So then you're going to see increased pressure on, rents or, or, or rental properties, more demand, price of rents go up theoretically. Absolutely. Uh, my, my wife and I have been trying to acquire rental properties in Raleigh, North Carolina for some time. We just picked one up and we put an offer in for another one this past weekend, mm -hmm. uh, $20,000 over asking with $20,000 due diligence. And $20,000, due diligence, by the way, in North Carolina, the way that it works is you you offer due diligence and you also offer earnest money. Okay. Due diligence is the money that you pay up front the time this, the contract's signed and it's just gone. It's basically like an option to buy the property. Yeah. If you decide not to execute your option, you still lose your due diligence. 
Wow. Most people will put down like, I think it's like half a percent of the purchase price for due diligence. And this, this was a $320,000 property. And we put, we put down 20 grand. So almost 8%. Because mm-hmm. I was just like, I was like, okay, we're going 20 over asking uh, $20,000 due diligence. They've got to accept our offer. If I got this offer and I was that person, I'd be like, take I'm going to take the one with 20K due diligence. Because that, you know, it's going to be very painful for somebody to back out of. And we got, we got an email. It's like, sorry, we accepted an offer. Yours, um, they didn't word it specifically like this, but basically the implication was not close to strong. Oh, wow. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? So I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here, right? I'm like looking at this at the same time, I'm looking at all of these statistics and I was watching somebody's YouTube video and it's so bad because I'm sure that somebody's going to listen to this podcast and go, oh, you're getting it from that YouTube video. And you're right. <laughs> I think it was Ken McElroy. Okay. Uh, one of his videos. Yeah. Okay. He was talking about the supply and everything. And so like watching that at the same time, and I was like, you know what? I might just, I might just wait until Q3 to start picking up rentals again. Maybe, maybe there will be a price pullback, but I think, I think it's going to be some weird timing in 2021 because you're going to see the inventory increase. It's got to increase Nor- a normal market six months. We're at two. So it's yeah. got to increase at some point. Uh, Ken says end of, end of 2021. So maybe Q3, Q4, 2021, you see prices pull back, market cools off. Then you go buy the rentals because in 2022, you're going to, you're going to see pressure on, on rentals, everybody moving into rentals. So price will increase, prices will increase there, there theoretically. But anyway, it's just kind of like an interesting interesting stuff to look at yeah and i think i think you hit the nail on the head it's it's only going to get worse but it's crazy to see and and i didn't even know this to be true before you said your story but i believe that there's a thousand of you doing exactly that is i'm paying twenty thousand over asking price i'm willing to pay you know put money down for this due diligence that i'm i won't get back and honestly some of these houses aren't even appraising now what one thing i'm starting to see in my market is, is they're cutting appraisals finally they're cutting them and saying, and I shouldn't say finally, because it's not a good thing when I go to sell a property, but it's a good thing because that means that they're starting to pay attention, that things are getting out of control. Banks are lending just too easy. I mean, they're, they're not taking this thing, I believe, as serious as, as it's going to be. Um, I don't think it's a 0708, right? I wish yeah. I, was, I wasn't only 28 years old now in 0708, I would have been able to live through that because I would have been buying anything that I can get my hands on. <laughs> Um, but I hope it doesn't get that bad, but I think it's going to, it's going to definitely be a wake up call, kind of like what COVID was to us, um, in 2020 that it's like, okay, we really need to take our time. There's more to buying properties and rentals than just watching a couple YouTube videos and putting an offer out there. It's not that easy. <laughs> I wish it was. Well, we, you know, we, I- we've seen people cutting appraisals too. Uh, around the Raleigh market. Yeah. I, I've, I've started to hear about that where the appraisal come in 20 grand less and you're like looking around like, Whoa, wait, I mean, the comps mm-hmm. recently are, are, it's all comped out. It's fine. Right. But I, I didn't know that. So, so, so that's interesting. So, so the appraisers, are they doing that like to protect themselves? So that's the crazy part. And I've, I've had two appraisals cut in two years. One was, I don't even know how it happened. Um, it's crazy because within a half a mile radius, there were houses that were $200,000 more than what, what I was asking with the same square footage. But they say, oh, it's a different part of town. How? It's a half a mile away. What do you mean it's a different part of town? Right. So some of it is a lack of education, I believe. Um, two is I learned that when somebody is dealing with hard money loans and they don't have you know private lending or they don't have the capital for themselves or it's not traditionally financed through a bank, 
they're more eager just to take an offer if they get stuck in a deal. Well, I had that happen at a property that was right across the street from one that I was flipping. And they cut my appraisal by almost 20 grand. Well, if I didn't have enough equity in that deal, that's why I said we always buy them right. I would have been, I mean, that would have been a bad situation there, mm -hmm. but I'm starting to see it. I think it's a lack of education. I think they're trying to adjust the market. And then also, if you're ever the first one into a neighborhood to make changes, I don't recommend that. I've been that guy and I've had an appraisal cut because I was the first one. They're like, I don't, I don't see the vision. And I'm like, but I own seven, eight other lots on the street. I'm going to do the same thing. Nah, so don't, I wouldn't do that. But yeah, I think those are a few of the things that I've noticed. That is interesting. I, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that was a thing, but I mean, I guess it, it kind of makes sense. You can't, if your appraisals feed the price run up, then, then it's just going to burst even harder. Right. And that, that's super interesting. Cause, cause you do, I, I mean, a couple of these, I've, I've looked at some of the, the properties around and maybe it's like a different neighborhood. Maybe I don't know how to appraise property. I mean, I don't know how to appraise properties. I look at like, <laughs> I look at recent sales, but yeah. some of them you're like, Whoa, wait, this is so wrong. You should go challenge it. Right. Um, but maybe it's not, maybe, maybe they're, maybe they're doing it intentionally. That's interesting. It's uh it is very interesting. I, I was looking at some appraisals that I just got um, for 12 parcels that I just got the appraisal back and the gentleman appraised the lot right next to the, the lot that has a building on it for let's call it $80,000. But the lot that's right next to it that has a building on it that is all brick appraised for less than just the land. I was like, this doesn't make sense. What, what do you mean? So that one's going to get challenged. I'm actually going to challenge that one. <laughs> but yeah, you never know. I mean, I just want to throw one thing in there for everybody who owns a bunch of rental portfolios or a bunch of rentals in their portfolio who might be like, oh my God. Well, you know, the good news is even if there's a pullback and the market does uh, the market does cool off and the prices do come down, if your goal is long-term buy and hold, you, as long as you're not over leveraged, as long as you could pay your mortgage, I mean, you just hold it through the downturn and you, you, you're you coming out and that's the long-term vision of that, right? Um, Absolutely. You, you, the only time you're going to be in a, in a, in a really tough predicament is if you over leveraged, you can't pay your mortgage or, you know, your mortgage is you, you use some kind of short-term financing where now all of a sudden it's becoming due. You can't refinance and now you're forced to sell. And now you're really going to be in a tough position, but. Absolutely. And, and so often you see people get over leveraged because they buy a rental property and then they turn around or a flip and they turn around and refinance it out and take the bank. I think lets you take out 80% now. Some of them are 70 and they'll take out all 80%. And it's like, how are you cash flowing? Well, you might cash flow right now in today's market, but in a downturn, you can't cash flow that way. So we never, we absolutely never do that. All right. So, you know, at, at this point, say, you know, let's just say that our listeners wanted to, to learn more about what you have going on or, or, you know, wanted to reach out to you, maybe wanted to work with you in some way, shape or form, you know, what would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah, I'd probably say the easiest way to, to get a hold of me is either on my social media, which is probably going to be Instagram, which is mr.kamak, M-R.C-A-M-M-A-C-K, or on our website, which is Kamak Estates, which is C-A-M-M-A-C-K-E-S-T-A-T-E-S.com. And on that, um, we have a key to success mentorship program where it goes through all the tips and tricks to be successful within the real estate industry, what it took for me to build a seven-figure real estate empire from nothing while working corporate America. So yeah, if you want anything, um, don't hesitate to reach out to me. But also, if you're looking to get um, into real estate, 
you got to make the investment in yourself. And I think we're giving it away for like 199 bucks. I wish I had access to that for 199 bucks, but yeah, um, that will be the two ways to get a hold of me or how to get started in real estate. All right. So we'll go ahead and jump, uh, drop that into the show notes uh, for everybody who is listening. Hey, you know, Chris, want to thank you for coming on the show today. And uh, it was a pleasure having you on. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.